How's it going, folks? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I will be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And today, our guest is a good friend of mine and fellow guide, Captain Perry McDougald, out of Swansboro, North Carolina. And in this episode, we take a deep dive into false albacore fishing. So Perry, along with a lot of other guides in his area, really spend a handful of months out of the year solely focusing on false albacore. So it's really been brought to its highest degree. And, and Perry is just a absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to fishing for false albacore. So we talk about how to position your boat, how to fish around a bunch of other people, the flies that he and I like to use, the, the light tackle lures that he and I like to use. So hopefully you guys find this one helpful and informative and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for Big Reds, Cobia, Tarpon, and Jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Perry, how's it going, man? I'm alive, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. So you had uh, you you got a couple days off here, which is just just, uh, just a couple, <laughs> just a couple, due due to a cancellation. It sounds like. Yeah, it's a uh, unfortunate unfortunate thing that happens, but it does happen. So here I am, just playing catch up on life and getting a few things that need to be done done. So I hear you. I'll make uh, I'll make lemonade out of it, buddy. There you go. So Perry has probably been on the podcast, I don't know, maybe four or five times now. Does that sound uh, about right? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Something I've, I've done a few of them with you for sure. Yeah. So no, no stranger, no stranger to the podcast. Uh, but what, I, from what I remember, cause you've done one with me, you've done one, I think with Ozzy and you've done one or at least a couple with Judd, but I don't think there has been one done where we solely focused on false albacore and, uh, and how you fish for them. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you obviously love to do. I love to do it. And, and you guys really focus on it hard for what, three months out of the year. So really kind of, I mean, we'll get some early season stuff, you know, beginning of September, don't really bank on that. You know, we'll, we'll really start pushing and marketing for Albany trips, 
you know, into September, all through October, and a lot of November. You know, it all depends on weather and water and bait, and everything's got to work perfect. And, you know, there's some years you'll go into December, but I'd say for the most part, it's two solid months of season that we work for Albie. Mm-hmm. So Perry's up in yeah, about an hour and 20 minutes north of me. Right around Cape Lookout area, Swansboro area, and their albie fishing is—it just gets phenomenal, and it's—it's it's a really well-known place for for false albacore to the point where people will, you know, travel down there for weeks at a time and bring their boats and and just focus on false albacore for for you know however long I guess they have. So That's it's a right. it's a really special place. For false albacore and a lot of the guides around there, Perry included, uh, will focus solely on um, false albacore, uh, false albacore for for a couple months, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys get a ton of trips out of just that area being so well known for it and and having guided for a long time. I'm sh- I'm sure you have just a ton of repeat business. For, for yeah, uh, it's um. That Cape Lookout area, it's, it's pretty special, you know, when it comes to the Albee fishery. It's uh, its always pretty consistent. Um, you know, we definitely have the good, the bad, and the ugly up there for sure. You know, there are some days where you can't seem to catch an Albee whatsoever, but you go, you know, you got to have your plan B, C, D, and E. And between, you know, the giant bluefish, of course, the Albies is the focus. Uh, Spanish mackerel still out and about. Um, and then, you know, you can jump to some other places and find, jump over to some wrecks and maybe go do some AJs. Uh, you can run the beaches looking for drum and things like that. It's, uh, there's a lot of options out there and it's, it's really pretty spectacular fishery. It just seems to be a really nice hot spot for Albies. Yeah, it is. I guess it, cause it, you know, it sticks so far out in the ocean. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a great congregation point for for bait and for fish, um, and I'm sure there's a billion other ways or reasons that it's so good, but it's just it's a special place, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. So let's talk about a little bit the migration of false albacore because when you're looking at social media, when you're talking to people, and you start seeing pictures of false albacore being caught in states north of you are you um you know how long do you expect until they start showing up into the cape lookout area because you know that if i if i'm correct and thinking i you know how far north are they coming from you know that's that's a that's a great question and then there's been some really cool science involved in that i don't want to deter from the question um but it all kind of be answered together. So, you know, the Northeast, you know, that New England area is pretty known for Albies. North Carolina is known for Albies. And then Florida is known for Albies. And, of course, they run the gamut all along the coast. Um, but as far as, you know, how they migrate and how far they run, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, we actually started doing some research with the American Saltwater Guide Association. Uh, last year we did some DNA studies on these fish. And this year, um, there's several of us who are doing the tagging program to help gather more information on these fish and their migratory patterns, um, how fast they move, where they move to, just to gather more data 
uh, growth rate, any anything to do with these fish. So in a full year from last year, you know, when they started, because they've gathered a year's worth of data back, these fish that were tagged up in uh, the New England area came down to North Carolina, stayed here for a bit, ran all the way down to Key West, and then boom, straight lined it right back up to New England. And that's in a, in a one-year cycle. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely watch everybody else's forecast. So, for instance, you know, the Northeast, these fish are running south currently. Mm-hmm. So we're watching that whole Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod, that whole fishery up there. And when they're in their heat of their season, you know, we're, we're going to start seeing fish here. And you just kind of watch it via social media or friends you know or fellow guides that you spoke with in the past. But when they start tapering, those fish are coming here. Mm-hmm. Now, it might only be a week before those fish are here. So, like I said, we kind of start that September time frame. But typically, you know, late October today, if I had to pick any day to fish, it would be Halloween day. Um, so that end of October is kind of really our peak. And we're, I think we're a little bit late on it this year just because of some of that South wind and weather that's been brought in, but we've definitely had a great run of fish so far and it's, it should only be getting better. Yeah. I, my next question was, are, is anyone still catching them up in Cape Cod area? Like, are they still uh, trickling out of there? Yeah. So you know, the people I've spoke with up there, they say it's definitely you're at the uh, late season bite, mm-hmm. um, but they're still having fish there. So I'm expecting a lot of these fish to really show up here hard very soon. And especially now that we are getting into a more steady pattern of our north winds, which is for us fishing that whole, you know, Crystal Coast area, um, that north wind is prime for us. Yeah. So that that really makes our beach calm. That really pushes all of our bait close in. It makes our bait ball super tight. It just it makes it prime time uh, conditions for albacore. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious. So when you guys get pushes of fish, generally very shortly after here in Wilmington or Riceville Beach area, we'll get pushes of fish. I'm curious Can though, like when they come when they come from. Cape Lookout to Wrightsville, let's say down to, do they make it all the way down to like South Carolina and then up oh, the wind switches for three days? Do they go, I wonder if they go all the way back up to Cape Lookout, if they're just kind of doing laps in a general area for a while. And then once it gets, you know, to the water temperature, they don't, that they don't like, they just keep pushing further and further South. Um, so, a lot of these fish, and this, this will go back to the ASGA studies and stuff and the data they released, it's the fish that showed up here that came from the Northeast, uh, several of them, and I say several, more than several, but a lot of those fish hung around North Carolina, you know, through April. Um, they just weren't up and feeding. And, you know, it's one of those things that if a hard north wind tightens those bait balls, makes that fishing really good. And, you know, the last little bit, we had a little bit of west and southwest wind. And it's not that the fish leave. It's just that the bait scatters. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have those super tight bait balls, so you're not looking at those very visual, hardcore albie blitzes that everybody thinks, um, thinks of whenever you think of albie fishing. It's, you deal with the sipper fish, the quick, what we call popcorn albies, and you just you dig and you zag and you play the whack-a-mole game. 
um, just because that weather's kind of scattered the bait a little bit, which in turn scatters the fish. Yeah, 100%. It's, there's nothing more frustrating to me than going out looking for false albacore and there's birds everywhere and you see a bust 100 yards away and just like two fish. And then you look to your left and there's a bust 50 yards away and it's just one fish. And you're like just <laughs> zigzagging around all day long trying to, you know, get the good opportunity for an angler to get a cast into them, you know, while they're, while they're up. Um, well, you, you work with what you got. I'll tell right. you, it's, uh, that's right. Those, uh, those popcorn albies playing the whack-a-mole game. It's definitely frustrating, but if you go to an area and those fish have kind of gone down, do not hesitate to throw a fly or if you're spin fishing a jig or a albie snack or anything out there. Just because they're not blowing up on the surface doesn't mean they're not scattered searching around underneath there. So, you know, especially when we're on fly, you go up there and we predominantly throw intermediate lines. Um, a floating line works too. It's just if the fish are under the surface, that intermediate helps. Throw a few blind casts through there where you saw them and see if there's any stragglers circling around, picking up any of the uh, the stunned or dead bait. And, you know, sometimes you come real tight and that's a real successful way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. You're a big, I feel like everyone up there is a pretty big fan of uh, intermediate line. Whereas, you know, I, there's, I feel like here everyone uses this floating, floating line and maybe it's just cause the, you know, we don't, with the fishery around here for false albacore isn't as, um, I don't want to say, trying to choose the right word. I, I would say they're not as dialed in as they are up there because you guys are doing it every day. We're really only doing it when right. we get good pushes. So the uh, the intermediate line, I mean, I ran floating lines for years on them. Um, and they, they work. <laughs> they work just fine. The, the bigger pro to the intermediate line is, one, for those stiffer albies, the ones who are just under the surface. Mm-hmm. And two, um, albies love really crappy weather. <laughs> So, you know, there's hard north winds where there's a little bit of chop right off the beach. That intermediate line is going to cut down and give you just a little bit more direct connection with that fly mm-hmm. um, because it's right underneath all those little waves and chop. First, that floating line that's sinking or sitting on top of it, and you have those little waves in your line. That The intermediate just cuts through that and gives you just a bit more of a direct connection to drop it underneath any of the chop. Um so that's, that's our big pro for the intermediate. Um, I do keep a floating line on the boat, you know, you know, whenever they're blitzing hard and we want to get crazy with it and throw a crease flyer or a top water for something like that. But predominantly it's going to be an intermediate line that I'm going to hand somebody. Yeah. And I noticed last time we were together, you had, is it, is the fly rod that you have, that has a does it, does it have a clear intermediate line or a clear tip in intermediate line? Yeah, so that's uh, that's just different brands make different styles of uh, uh, lines. So what I'm throwing is the uh, the Rio flat throw intermediate with the uh, translucent color changes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they make intermediate line that's a solid color too. Uh, the Albacore are not super picky on line color, so if you have a leader tied to a solid yellow or solid blue, totally fine. It's, um, it's just a line that I really enjoy throwing. Gotcha. Let's talk about your fly selection 
real quick, and, and we can get into spinning gear as well. Uh, I know you guys are big fans of the, you know, surf candy type flies, but what other, y'all always have some flies tied out, tied onto your fly rods that I honestly have never even thrown for false albacore. And one of them is that crease fly. Um, so tell us a a little bit about if you're getting ready for a day, you know, it's going to be gangbusters out there. What kind of flies are you tying on, on, on all the fly rods you got on the boat? Sure. So, I mean, everybody knows match the hatch, of course. So really what those albies are feeding on are, uh, small bay anchovies, silver sides, things like that. So most of our flies are going to be on the smaller size, um, like size four or sixes. I'm a huge fan of like an epoxy head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, I'll tell you, it's not so much the color. And yes, sometimes it is. But a lot of it's more so the size. Because, you know, you'll have albies that eat pink and chartreuse. But if it's bigger than the bait that they're chasing, cut it down or tie on a smaller one and they'll still eat that same color. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we have a lot of those kind of, you know, what we call the blood bait, the red bait balls that are out there. So mm-hmm. I would probably pick something that's going to be small and maybe tan over white or just tan something that's going to kind of mimic that. But typically I'm going to have one rod that's probably going to have all white, uh, like a silver side epoxy head pattern. I'll do something that's an olive over white or a tan over white. We're going to see what's going to be eating or getting eaten the best. And then I'm going to just double down on that and go hard on it. Um, but I do love the epoxy head flies, you know, your, your surf candy style stuff. Um, the old elusive Albi whore fly, honestly, is a really fun one, and it works great. Yeah, There is absolutely nothing wrong with a Clouser. Uh, the only thing and recommendation I say about Clousers is use light weight eyes on it. Like, you can go V-chain because it hurts to hear dumbbell eyes either clang off your motor cowling or hit the rod mid-cast and put a fracture in it. So... There's a lot of chaos, so anything that we can do to help control that, to minimize collateral damage, yeah. is crucial. Um, but yeah, a lot of the flies I have are a lot of white, a lot of kind of that translucent crystal color, pan over white or olive over white are big ones for me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the crease flies, which are a topwater. So when their the albies are blitzing really hard, it's really fun to throw that top water and just watch them come up and hammer it. It's super visual and really fun. It just makes you kind of get a cackle out of it. So. <laughs> do is there a special way to work those crease flies or do you just strip, 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 strip? You know, the whole secret to any fly that you're going to throw for Albie is move it fast. Mm-hmm. And I want to clarify when I say move it fast, I don't mean strip it fast. I mean, strip it as fast as you can. And when you think you're going faster, try to go more than that. Yeah. Um, those fish swim at 40 mile an hour. So they're just zooming and busting and cutting. You're, you can't outstrip them. So no, there's no move way. it fast. The, the crease flies, it's the same thing. Just pull, 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 pull. And bam, you'll see one come up and hammer it. And it's, it's really fun to watch them swipe and eat it. I'm always amazed when... I'm I'm fishing for albies and I see in the let's say the water's really clear 
and I'll see mm-hmm. him zoom underneath the boat at some point, and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this look like literal torpedoes just flying through the water. Yeah, um, little green torpedoes, man. That's when it's real fun. Yeah, yeah. I like to call them. Uh, my my nickname for them is deep water bonefish because they just. I mean, for their size, they they fight as hard as any fish that we have. They uh. A fish that runs zero to forty in three seconds is impressive. Yeah, um, great. And pound for pound, just the pull that they have it is ridiculously awesome. Um, you know, you hook into even your early season albies. You know, your little three to five pounders uh, throwing eight weight at those suckers. It's, you're going to think like, well, maybe I need a ten weight. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. there's no doubt. They I- uh, they're mean animals, buddy. I'm, I love it. Yeah, they're killing machines. Um, I would be really, I haven't fished for bonefish that much. Uh, really only a handful of times. But it is really comparable as to how fast it gets you into your backing. As long as that uh, false albacore doesn't swim towards the boat, which they sometimes do for whatever reason. But if you get one that just turns around and takes off, it's got to be pretty dang close, if not. I don't know. Maybe the Albie has yeah. the upper hand. I don't know. I th- your speed's probably very comparable. It's uh, the thing that makes the Albies a bit more of a dog in the fight. You know, your bonefish, you know, you're fishing shallow water. Your Albies, we're, we could be in shallow, but a lot of time, you know, you're in 20, 30, 40 to 60 feet of water. They don't just get to go out. They get to go down also. Yep. So not only do you get that run out where you're instantly in your backing, it will almost immediately transition into, holy crap, my rod's bent in half, and you're trying to horse this thing up off the bottom while he's still going 40. <laughs> yeah, so right. it's, uh, they have they have more direction to pull. So you kind of you get that crazy run where you're in your backing, and then you get the, the pull from the bottom while they're just fighting you. So they're, they're spectacular creatures. Yes. Yes, they are. Well, let's talk about spinning tackle real quick. Um, sure. One lure that you guys use that I've I've only fished with one other person that's used it, and it's worked really well, but I'm not exactly sure, like, what it – I mean, I assume it's imitating a, a bait fish, but it's the Albi snack. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's uh... I mean, it's a big lure, and it's – Big and pink. <laughs> I'm yep. sure they come in different colors, but I feel like the most people use the pink one. Um, the, the pink one's by far one of the most popular. We'll keep the nickname out of this conversation. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the, the Albi snacks, you know, that, that those are made by fish snacks, and they make a soft plastic, which is the Albi snack, and they also make casting jigs, which are hard snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them work phenomenally. The Albi snack, the soft plastic one, you can rig that either on a weightless hook or you can actually put a lightweight jig head on it if you want to. Um, and that's the same thing. It's a cast and retrieve as fast as you can. Um, but if you use them on a weightless hook, again, it's a surface eat, so very visual. Um, if I keep an assortment of colors, but I really enjoy using the pink. Um, a solid white is always good. They've got a uh, real lightly shaded pink one, too, instead of the hot pink. And then the key lime, which is that chartreuse over white. Mm-hmm. Those are the four that I have. But typically, there's always going to be a one of the shades of pink and then one of the whites on um, 
then they'll probably key in on one color better than the other. And then it's easy to just switch that plastic out to match and have a bit more success. Uh, and I keep mine on weightless hooks just because I want them on the surface. It's real cool to see that thing wiggling across the water and all of a sudden, bam, gone. Yeah. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Have you had days where your Albie snacks have outfished um, casting jigs? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, these fish seem to really day-by-day day love a snack or a jig or some sort of metal jig, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if I'm, if I've got spin folks on the boat, I'm going to have four spin rods ready to go. And two of them are going to be with some sort of casting jig, whether it be a metal jig or like an epoxy jig. And they will be different colors. Probably one of them, definitely white. I really enjoy chartreuse as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have two different colored Albi snacks. So we're going to see what's going to happen. And there are definitely some days where the casting jig wins. And other days for the Albi snack, which is, you know, it's bigger, it's six inches. It, it looks like nothing that they're feeding on, it probably but it's kind of that you. wild card. Yep. You know, it, it's that wild card out there that you're like, oh man, that's, that's I don't know what it is, but right. there are definitely days where a giant six inch Albi snack crushes it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I often think about that when fishing for Albies and you, you almost want, it to not look exactly like the bait that that they're eating because if it it, at that point it almost just blends in too well until it pulls off of the big group and maybe they think oh there's a straggler Mm -hmm. you know if you have something that just stands out a little bit whether it's the color or the size profile or, or what have you that that's what makes it stand out and get eaten in my opinion many times those days where we've got really picky fish and you've thrown a dozen different jigs and a dozen different types of flies, grab the wild card and throw the big Albi snack in there. And just some days that's just what works. And you're like, all right, well, they want, they want a big meal today. So that's what we do. Um, for fly, I definitely keep it a lot smaller, but on spin, it's a hot pink Albi snack. Some days it's hard to beat. Yeah, man. 
Okay. I guess I'm going to go buy some after this. Um, I don't know. I don't know who's got them down your way, but a bunch of tackle shops around here carry them. So yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure they, some. They're of you definitely worth them. having. Yeah, picky picky Albies is is a good point of discussion as well. I mean, I know we, that we've touched on it a little bit, but it is something that can drive you absolutely crazy. And I think if anything, it just points to the importance of. Not so much color like Perry was saying, but very much size profile. That is by, uh, by yeah. far the the um, ticket to success more times than not. And, it, you know, Albies, at least in my experience, Perry can correct me if I'm wrong, but you can go out there one day and they'll eat pretty much anything that you throw in there. And then you go out the next day and it's like they've keyed in on one type of bait in mm-hmm. one size profile and you're like, what the heck is happening? Um, so, so having, you know, different size profiles and in different colors too, in your, uh, in your tackle box or on your boat is, is definitely important if you're going to catch them consistently for sure. And sometimes it takes five changes, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Once you, once you figure, you know, the recipe out that they want, it's pretty game on. I, uh, I tie a lot of the flies I use for Albie season myself. Um, I keep them pretty simple. The big thing for me is I'll tie some, you know, that are maybe three inches long, just with that extra long tail on them. Because some days they want something big. But keep a pair of scissors handy because it's real easy to just go ahead and snip some of that tail off to kind of, you know, if they only want that three-quarter inch or one-inch long little snot bait, Cut that dang tail off real fast and just shorten it and throw it right back in there. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know, you don't always have to go through the box of changing flies and taking the time. Just keep some scissors handy. I know it sucks if you're tying your own flies and you're like, well, I'm about to butcher this thing. (laughs) But uh, if it gets eaten, then it's worth it. Yeah, 100%. You know, I have somewhat of a funny story about flies and and what was working and what wasn't. And this kind of goes to show like, it doesn't have to be anything fancy a lot of times. Um, and this was right when I started getting into, to fly fishing for Albies, maybe a couple years after I started getting into it. And someone was like, man, all you need is a hook and some white bucktail and then just put some epoxy on it. And I was like, sounds easy enough. And these yep. were the ugliest flies you can possibly imagine. I mean, the, the epoxy was not, or the UV resin was not like perfect by any means. It was super uneven. It looked so ridiculous. And the best, uh, the best I've ever done on false albacore was with one of those flies. I think I caught like 20 or something by myself with, with, uh, like five of those flies and they were just, you know, tied on, size four hooks and probably took me five minutes each fly if if not less well most of that was probably just uh getting the epoxy on there you know tying <laughs> yeah, right, tying, right. The, tying the fly takes two seconds yeah I, uh, exactly i'm a big fan of the keep it simple stupid the kiss principle yes um it's it's not rocket science tying flies for albies it's just having the right sizes and the right options available to find the secret recipe for the day. That's all. 
Yep. I'm with you there. Let, I did you can wanna... tie all the ugly flies you want. Just tie olive ones, tie white ones, tie tan ones. <laughs> just, just be ready. Yeah. I like it. I did want to talk about stripping real quick because I know that people have different opinions about this and, and probably mm-hmm. just comes down to personal preference at, at some point. I know that the, the last time we went together, you were, you like a one hand strip and, uh, do you, do you feel like that works better than a double hand strip or do you just tell people to do the one hand strip because you're worried that they, you know, a lot of people don't know how to double hand strip and it takes a little, you know, a little bit of practice. Um, Correct. I'm, I'm a fan of one hand purely for the ease of it on the other angler. Um, if you're comfortable with the two handed strip and understand the strip, 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 set the hook and then can transition that rod from under your arm to your hand um, smoothly and efficiently, then by all means, please do that. Um, you know, some of the anglers we get are less experienced. Um, so it's just, again, keep it simple and keep the rod in one hand and strip with the other. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not rocket science to it. It's just move it fast. Like I was kind of mentioning earlier. And that's the key is, you know, if you can move it faster with two hands and you're good with the transition, do it. If you can strip fast enough with one and control your line management, do it. Um, as long as that fly is moving pretty rapidly, it doesn't matter to me what style we go with. Yeah, I agree with I agree with that 100%. And it's, it's really interesting. If you fish for Albies long enough and you're watching your fly in the water, and and let's say you you just casted it over a big group of busting fish and you're stripping it out and you and you have one try and eat it have one try and eat it again and then suddenly your the line falls out of your hand and you miss a strip you'll you'll mm-hmm. see them just pull off of your fly immediately yep which is it's so crazy as soon as that movement stops they're done sometimes yep well, well most of the time so yeah so. Perry's one hundred percent right it's all about just keeping it moving. Keep it moving and keep it in the fish. If you have stripped it and your flies outside of busting fish, pick it up and put it in there again as fast as you can. You've got to keep that fly in front of the fish. Um, and the more fish that see it, the better chance you have a one eating them. So, you know, we'll say put it in the meat, you know, don't cast to the edge of the blitz, cast over top of it and bring it through the middle of it. It's, Strip fast and let them all see it, and then hang on and drive the bus and strap in for the ride. While we're talking about casting over the groups of fish, Perry, do you have any tips on not hooking birds? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my biggest tip for birds is just bring a towel to throw over their head <laughs> while you get that line unwrapped. So the whole the whole goal game or the pelicans, the one you want to avoid the most. Oh my God. Um, it's all part of it. It's, you never really hook the bird. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but most of the time, you know, these, these fish are bringing bait up to the surface and the birds are following. So there will be goals all over them. And if you throw that fly over there, you're bound to just put it over top of one of their wings. It happens. Just get the bird in safely unwrap them as fast as you can and give them a safe release. Um, it, it's part of it, to be honest with you. But 
the best thing I can tell you is keep that kind of that cast low to the water. You know, a lot of your anglers who are that traditional 10 to 2 over their shoulder cast, mm-hmm. pivot that arm a little more sideways. The longer it stays up in the air, the higher it goes. It can, one, get blown around by the wind, but also fall on top of those birds. Just keep that cast low to the water and try and get it under them. That is the, the best thing I can say about birds. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's, it, it happens 100%. It does. And uh, the, the reason that made me think about it is the, I had a trip three or four days ago. I can't remember. The day I texted you and said, hopefully fish are coming your way. Uh, there was birds everywhere on these yep. fish. And I think we hooked three or four birds that day. And, well, you did pretty good. That's a low number. Yeah, well, we might not get as many birds as you guys do, or or the massive acres of of blitzing albies that you guys do either. But we did hit, we we hooked four birds, and like Perry said, the most important tool you can have on your boat is a towel, because as soon as that as soon as that bird gets in close enough to where you you know you're gonna have to do something about it, if you throw a towel over them a lot of times they just stay dead still and uh yeah it, and it doesn't have to be a full-size towel just just one of your little fish towels you know something to wipe your hands with it just it could be a t-shirt or a jacket yeah anything to just keep them calm and keep them from pecking at you um the, the you know the goals the smaller ones you can you can get your hand on them and help control that head and that beak from getting you um but the bigger ones they get a little feisty. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I've only hooked, uh, or not hooked, but I got my line tangled in a, in a pelican one time and it changed my entire perspective on pelicans. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's they, a big bird that does not want to be touched. I mean, his jaws were snapping. Like it, it was <laughs> so loud. I was like, I cannot get anywhere near this thing. And luckily I had a towel and even, you know, the yeah. towel trick works on them too. And, um, so, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is important to try and get them in the boat and get the line untangled. A lot of times it's, they're just tangled in line and not the hook. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, yeah. It's normally just wrapped around a wing in between some feathers and it takes just a couple seconds to get it figured out where it is and take that towel off and they'll fly right away. They yeah. don't want to be near you. Yep. Pelican might turn around and try and attack you, but you never know. Um, yeah, well, maybe maybe give them a gentle release <laughs> yeah. towards the water. There you go. Uh, sorry, that was a big side tangent. Um, okay, yeah. Here's a, the one of the biggest things I wanted to talk to Perry about, and I think it is is really important for everyone's experience on the water while fishing for albies, especially when there's a lot of boats out there because Cape lookout when it's, when it's good. And I, Perry could talk about this way more than, than I can, but I'm sure even when it's not that good is there's tons of boats out there looking for them. And as soon as mm-hmm. they pop up, everyone's just like, just motoring over to them. And I think mm-hmm. at Cape lookout, the, uh, the boat etiquette seems to be pretty good. And around here, you'll get people just, what did you call them last time we were together? The, the dudes that just run around like their heads are cut off? Roger Ramjet. <laughs> Roger what? Ramjet? 
Yeah, Ramjet. <laughs> Roger Ramjet. We get a bunch of those around here. Um, and I get it. Like, it's really exciting when you're out there and you're like, and they're popping up all over the place. But, you know, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that running around a lot of times is is very much sometimes the cause of those fish moving from spot to spot to spot to spot and makes them harder to catch. So, mm-hmm. Perry, you know, in your fishery where it's very much kind of like, a, you know, hand-to-hand combat at times, what is the ideal situation for, you know, a group of Albies comes up busting and there's 15 other boats around? How are y'all spreading out and in each kind of getting a piece of the pie without putting the fish, putting the fish down? Yeah. So this is a phenomenal topic. So thank you for bringing this up. Um, etiquette is a big thing of what you deal with during Albie fishing. And it's sure we see a lot of it at Cape Lookout because even on a bad day, there might be 30 boats around each other, but typically 50, 60. And if it's a perfect weekend and everybody's going out be fishing, I mean, you could have a hundred boats out there all around you. Um, so etiquette really comes into play. If what I encourage people to do is don't just jump at every chance you get. Um, because if, like we mentioned earlier, they'll be here and then all of a sudden they go down and pop up 50 yards over here or pop up a quarter mile over there. And if there's 50 boats sitting around you and you're the one that's just full throttle running around, one, you're shutting fish down. Uh, but two, you're also just throwing wake around everybody else and you're making everybody else probably a bit upset. Um, so kind of what we do is a lot of times we sit in idle or just barely in forward gear and just slowly move around. Because if those fish were there, they could pop up right beside you in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're swimming all over the place underneath you. So if they're in an area, they kind of, they're in that area for a reason. So if you can find the bait or the bait ball and just kind of wait, just because you see them pop up a quarter mile away, by the time you get there, they're going to be down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So move slowly task efficiently um you don't want to be zigzagging through everybody throwing wake and some people you know well i didn't zoom here or zoom there but you still put that throttle enough to go bow up and you threw a bigger wake just plowing through everybody even though you're only going 10 mile an hour you know it's uh you make you want to make it efficient and enjoyable for everyone out there, especially when you're in that kind of combat situation. Um, and if you bide your time, those fish are going to pop up right beside you and give you a shot. There's no reason to run circles around everybody and just be that person. So we move slow. We move efficiently. Um, sure. If there's a shot, we see something going crazy in the distance. We'll get away from the crowd and then speed up and go, but, uh, control the throttle a little bit. Um, give people room you know if there's a group of hobbies that are coming up and blitzing well you could have 10 boats circle it um don't be that guy that goes through two boats to drift right over the middle of them if you drove if you go over top of them you ruined it for everybody including yourself um stay to the outside don't get on top of them cast into them once you hook up get out of the way um communicate with any of the other boats around you so for the most part, people are pretty civil about the combat style fishing for Albies. 
Um, but for instance, if we hook up on my boat and there's another boat um, 10 yards away from me casting in the same group and my fish is running under his boat, I'm not upset about that guy being there. I'm just saying we're underneath you just so he doesn't throw his motor in gear and cut my fish or wrap my line up, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody works together pretty well for the most part. Of course, there are those people who um, don't, um, but hopefully they can learn a little bit of etiquette and be educated on it politely, of course. You know, we're not out, we're not out there to split throats and yell at people because um, we want to see them successful. But uh, move with a purpose, but just be mindful for other folks. So we move probably a lot slower than some other people do because in my opinion, it's not, it's not worth running and gunning and zigging and zagging so hard because they're going to come right back to where they were. (laughs) Yeah. There's, if I'm on the bait, the fish are coming. Yeah. So I think, and I've made that mistake many times uh, when I was, first learning how to alby fish. I mean, cause it, it seems like something that's so straightforward is you see birds, you run to them, you see birds, you run to them. And while that can work a lot of times, like Perry is saying, just moving slowly because they're up and down, up and down. A lot of times just moving slowly plays so much more in your favor with being in the right spot at the right time and not having those fish spooking away from the sound of your motor. Um, there's, but- and to be clear, there's nothing wrong with the run and gun technique. Like, if there's nobody around me, sure, pin it to win it, buddy. Go for it. Mm-hmm. But if you're in that combat fishing style situation, which Albie season there's a lot of, that's when I don't enjoy the, the run and gun. Yeah, for sure. You have to keep other people in mind. Yeah, be polite. Um, let's talk about boat positioning. Real quick. Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. I know you're you're very tactical at this and and I think it's it's played in your benefit quite a bit for when you're fishing for Alpies. So let's say you got you know, hard crosswind and you got Albies busting. What is your favorite way to set up your boat to to get your angler the you know, the most ideal shot? Um, big thing when you see Albies busting, you can a lot of the times kind of tell a direction that they're moving. Um, and typically it's going to be into the wind. So if you can kind of read those fish and get upwind of them just a hair, it'll give you multiple chances kind of as they're moving that direction. Um, and it all depends kind of on my position on do I have a fly angler or a spin angler. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if it's a hard north wind, I don't want to have that fly angler casting one into it or two if it's coming over his casting shoulder because that's going to want to blow that fly back towards him and either hook him, me, the boat, and just a mess. So if it's a hard north wind, I'll try and get in front of the fish and give him that wind at his back. Um, Now, that's not always the case, so just you got to work with both the captain and the angler on your best chance. So... So yeah, for fly anglers, I try and give them, I do not like that wind over their casting shoulder purely so we don't have an accident. Um, for spin anglers, it's a lot easier to really position anyway because you can cast that jig 
a country mile by all means. Mm-hmm. So you try and give it a quick look on what way those fish may be facing or moving, get up of it by just a hair. So you can cast into them several times before they shut down. Um, if I've got a right-handed caster on the bow of my boat, I'm going to try and keep the fish off the left-hand side mm-hmm. so that he's got a clear cast over the bow. If I've got two anglers in the boat, somebody's going to have a back cast. That's just part of it. And they can play the rules and switch front and back however they want. Um, unless you have a right and then a left-handed caster, then you can go off the same side of the boat all day, which is glorious. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm going to try and always put them on your normal casting direction. So for instance, right-handed caster, if you're in the bow, the left-hand side of the boat is where I'm going to do my best to position those fish. Just because it's a normal cast, you don't have to worry about the center console or the T-top or anybody else. Mm-hmm. You're swinging it out over the bows where it's snag-free. Yep. Makes sense. Um, but, but dude, by all means, be prepared for the that back cast because <laughs> if you if you can't fish a back cast you're only fishing half the time yeah yeah wow. understood um can't really think of much else i had one more question for you though I want you to explain why explain why albie fishing is so addicting oh god um it's just chaos, to be honest with you. It's, you do your best to control it, and there's so many different variables. Like it, Let me put it this way. When you're out pulling the shallow water in your skiff, and you're on the hunt, right? You're focused. Sometimes it gets a little quiet. You're calm, cool, and collected. Okay, we've got a fish 10 o'clock, 40 feet. You're getting into position. The whole recipe is felt. <laughs> mm-hmm. when you go into the Albi world I tell everybody I do a lot of yelling it's not <laughs> at you it's for you <laughs> just because it is very chaotic you know these fish go crazy and people just lose their mind you get buck fever you could be able to cast a double streamer rig 100 feet across a river but the second that you see that mess going crazy and it's cast 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 go 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 get it in there get it in there you buckle. <laughs> yeah. And it's just such an adrenaline rush to see these fish go ham and strip, 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 go, go. And it's, I don't want to say by any means that I yell at all my anglers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm voicefully encouraging them because <laughs> I want to see it too. Um, it, it's really fun. Um, they're an addicting fish and the chaos and the line management and oh this happened and you're in the rush to fix something if it does happen or holy crap like i'm in my backing in two seconds and or somebody popped their knuckle on that reel that's spinning at 100 miles an hour <laughs> you're like i told you like this is crazy it's yeah. crazy um even your five to eight pound albacore are Stupid fun. And then, you know, you get to those bigger, or what we call our buffaloes, you know, you get to that 15, 20 pound albacore mark, you're in a whole new world. And it's just something about hooking into one of those things and just feeling them pull. And man, it's, 
it's a real special treat. I look forward to Albie season all year. I love red fishing. Just the whole change of pace, the change of attitude, the change of tactic and gear. It's a whole different mindset on the Albies, and it's really enjoyable for the run that we have. It's a, uh, it's an addicting fish for sure. You you get bit by the Albie fever. <laughs> I agree with you. Well said, Perry. Well said. I should write a book about it. I'm well. <laughs> uh, well, Perry, thanks so much for for hopping on and taking some time out of your day to do this. Perry is. Um, He's a full-time guy, but he also owns a, a fly shop there in Swansboro, Soundside Outfitters. If you, if anyone's in that area, you should definitely go in there and check it out. Um, so, Perry, how can people find your guide service, and, and how can people find information about your, your fly shop? Sure. So, my service, my guide service is McFly Fishing Charters. Um, you can go to www.mcflyfishing.com. I'm also on Facebook uh, as McFly Fishing. Under I'm on Instagram as McFly Fishing. Um, all of my phone and email is on there. You can call, text, email, send me a message through social media. Whatever works best for you, I respond to it all. And then the shop is, of course, as you said, Soundside Outfitters. Uh, website for that is www.soundsideoutfittersnc as in North Carolina. Com. And then, of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram as well under Soundside Outfitters. Um, but, yeah, we've got the shop. We've got the guide service. We're rocking and rolling trying to put one foot in front of the other, brother. I respect it. I do indeed. Well, Perry, thanks so much, man. We'll, uh, I guess we're going to be fishing here hopefully together in the next next week, I think. Yeah, buddy. We uh, North Wind's going to heat it up for us, so you Y'all bring you a game, all right? All right. Will do. Buddy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on here. Yes, sir. Thanks, Perry. Thank you. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.